Stories about noisy neighbors are bad stories. They're like stories about delayed flights or weird dreams or long lines at the bank. They mean a lot to the person telling the story, but they're boring. I can vouch for it. Nobody cares. And I know this because for the past two years or so, I've been telling these stories nonstop. In May of 2014, I moved to Butler Street in Lawrenceville after living in Mount Washington for four years. My first night in the new apartment, I was exhausted from the move, so I called it an early night and plopped into bed around 9 p.m. Yeah. A few minutes later, I heard this. I looked out the window, and there were 50 or so people across the street in their underwear, on bikes, blasting terrible music. My first night in Lawrenceville, how perfect is that? Later, I'd come to know that this is the Pittsburgh Underwear Ride, a monthly nighttime ride over the summer for people who like, you know, biking in their skivvies. They whooped a lot. As I lay there listening to them ring their bike bells, I thought, I've made a terrible mistake. Mount Washington was quiet, it was cheap, it was spacious. Since then, my apartment has been barred by noise pretty much on a daily basis. So I started recording these little instances out my window with my iPhone. Often I can't get there in time, but once in a while, I catch a real beauty. Like this one last week, when a guy in a pickup truck didn't feel like being held up by a bus at the intersection, so he took out a speakerphone or like a bullhorn, and he said this. Or this guy. Or last Halloween when these two bros serenaded the neighborhood with this wham song, Careless Whisper. And sometimes it was just random, unidentifiable weirdness like this. Did he call him a Wookiee? I still have no idea. Then there was the overnight construction tearing up Butler Street between midnight and 6 a.m. once a week this summer. I'll keep this one short since it's brutal. I've been thinking about these recordings a lot recently because our guest today is Ricardo Iamuri Robinson, a Pittsburgh artist debuting his newest work at New Hazlet Theater on Thursday. Ricardo's piece is called Brand New World, Kill the Artist. If you walked around downtown in the past month, you've probably seen Ricardo on the flyer. White background, sitting in a silver chair, holding like a barcode reader to his head like a gun. The performance is hard to describe, so I'm going to let him do that in the next segment, but it involves field recordings that he's made around Pittsburgh. Ricardo doesn't use an iPhone for his field recordings like me. He's got this big boom mic, which is actually quite small, but it's surrounded by a sizable wind guard. Altogether, it looks kind of like a blimp on a stick. Anyway... While I recognize that these recordings aren't necessarily all that interesting, and that it's more than a little obnoxious for a white guy to complain that his gentrified neighborhood is too noisy, I have to say I love these recordings. I love all recordings like this, all field recordings. I love the anonymousness. Is that a word? The facelessness, yeah. I like the facelessness of the whole thing. I love not knowing anything about the asshole with the speakerphone or the guys dressed as wham or the barking dog. But my favorite recording came this summer, when a small marching band, I think, posted up outside the bar New Amsterdam and 
pretty much just grooved there for an hour in the street for anybody to hear. I sat there in my apartment, transfixed, iPhone out the window, nodding my head for an hour like some groovy idiot. It was amazing. I never saw their faces, and I still don't know who they are. But it was funky, and I liked it. You see, it's not all bad. I am moving out of this apartment in the next few months, and I have to say, the noise is a huge factor for me. But once I'm out of Lawrenceville, I think I'm going to miss it. I think I'm going to miss doing the recordings in general. I mean, I guess I can record the garbage trucks or barking dogs or the birds. But deep down, I know they'll never sing anything as good as this. I'm Alex Gordon. Welcome to the City Paper Podcast. In this episode, we're talking with Ricardo Iamuri about Brand New World Kill the Artist. And we even head out into the downtown streets for some field recordings of our own. Spoiler alert, there was no marching band, but we did see a bus. Charlie was on vacation last week. Welcome back, Chuck. So there's no politics talk today, but we do have Celine taking us to a Harry Potter-themed meal at Dinner Lab's. Plus her take on what's really good this weekend. Stick around. Don't be fooled by my attitude. It comes off. As long as everybody knows I'm the boss. Thought you had me at hello. Well, ain't that sweet and low? I'll let you think you're in control, but it's my show. Nice bus sound. That's the musician and audiovisual artist Ricardo Iamuri walking with me downtown, and what he just said was, those are some nice bus sounds. He points the mic at the bus, you know, the blimp on the stick, and we stand there for a bit. A few minutes earlier, we stopped at a crosswalk to listen to the beeping pedestrian signals. Ricardo calls this sound fishing, which means what you think it does. He suits up in a red jumpsuit, obviously, and takes his boom around town or on road trips or to the ocean and collects everyday noises. On Thursday, Ricardo will perform Brand New World, Kill the Artist, at New Hazlet Theater, a piece which was partially born out of these field recordings, though it's far from that simple. I would describe it as a composition uh, that is to be performed uh, using uh, Foley art samples. Just to cut in here, a Foley artist is a person who designs sound on a film. Foley art samples, audio clips, and um, some some acoustic uh, music um, to score a silent film. So um, actually, it's not completely silent. The, there's a soundtrack for the film as well. So, so it's scoring a film using sound effects and Foley art and 
you know, just uh, field recordings and things like that, and, and creating this composition, this six-part composition. So that's how I would describe it. It's a composition. So it's two days from now. Yes, Thursday night, eight o'clock at the New Hazlet. Uh, it opens and runs for uh, one night and Friday matinee. So yeah. So how are you feeling now? It's Tuesday at four o'clock. Are you? <laughs> Uh, feeling, um, colorful, feeling excited, uh, ready to do some walkthroughs tonight. Uh, you know, we're Facebook friends. I've seen you post pictures of, you know, you with your boom going around town, picking things up. I noticed you have an orange get up. <laughs> I'd like to know the, right. what made you start wearing that and, uh, okay. where you uh, got it. Um, it's, I, I, it's a bright red one, uh, okay. so my color correction must be off in my photography. <laughs> but it, it's it's a uh, it's what made me start wearing that. Um, it's it's branding yourself. Um, it's it's I was playing with the idea of of image, uh, and I could have went out there with what I have on, you know, some shorts or something like that. But um, there was a there was a moment where I even created my own badge because the artwork that I do now, I call it Sonarchaeology. And it's the study of the ancestry of sound. Um, don't ask me to define that yet. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, so it, it was, uh, I gave myself a uniform, you know, I chose, like no one, no one made it for me, uh, so. Uh, I said, I'm going to go with bright, warning, red, you know, jumpsuit, yeah. walk around through Pittsburgh. I could have went with a black and gold and really, you know, like, became an icon throughout the city, visual icon, but uh, I went with bright red. I feel like it would probably be good to have, I mean, some sort of official thing. You look in the mirror, you know that what you're doing that day. If it actually, uh, even though I, I played with the idea... Um, sometimes you play long enough, it becomes real. Yeah. So, yeah, went out there as a as a nice little joke to myself, and uh, and now it's uh, the official uniform for what about <laughs> sound fishing and doing my sound archaeology work. So. Sound archaeology is Ricardo's sound design business. His career seems to be comprised of this web of concurrent interests and various passions, but when I ask him to draw a line between his music career, his sound recordings, and the origins of Brand New World Kill the Artist, he has a little trouble. The origins of the project. Oh, man, the origins. Um, the origins of a Brand New World Kill the Artist. I would have to say, if I can find a place of birth. Um, but when I push him, he says this. There's a certain branding uh, that that happens in our culture through through art, through film, to the point where, you know, uh, we receive these images and these sounds or these recreations, and and we can go back and you know read literature about you know the First World War, uh, the Second World War. So all of that is a part of this experience. Uh, so how what what is the the origin of of you know being impressed by all of this noise and all of this information? 
let's just say the the information age has is the origin of this you know so let's just put it that way a lot of information in this piece since my technique involved the fairly unscientific practice of you know pointing my iphone at noise i figured the best way to learn about ricardo's art was to do some of our own we got our mics him with the boom me with my little zoom we skipped the jumpsuits and headed out of the city paper office onto Smithfield Street. All right, so we're now leaving Center City Tower. There you go, that wonderful Pittsburgh winter wind. I think the only thing I'm gonna hear out here are my uh, shoes. Uh, so if you wanna hear the, the sounds of self-importance, it's usually uh, shoes that sound like this. So by comparison, what does that say about my shoes? <laughs> <laughs> For a guy who digs bus sounds and expresses self-deprecation by, you know, pointing a mic at his shoes, I had to ask if there were any sounds he didn't like. The sound of uh, uh, my 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 four-month-old son crying too long. <laughs> Babies crying can just be like, oh, man, no. Okay, we got to, it's like, Daddy, you love sound art, don't you hear? But no, uh, let's, let's, let's give you another bottle or something. Is there a noise that maybe most people don't like that you do like? I think people run from that, that chalk thing on the chalkboard. I would probably love to get a good chalk scrape uh that screech so or that squeal all of those wonderful onomatopoeias out there uh i say bring them on uh creating a very incredible library for sound archaeology that i'm going to release this year and um yeah for the people that really appreciate all types of sounds uh i think they're going to really enjoy a lot of these recordings and maybe uh, not always run to music uh, per se and maybe start running more towards listening to field recordings, you know. Uh. That, to me, is what Ricardo is all about. You might roll your eyes a little bit at having to listen to the sound of a bus on a podcast, but this dude really loves everyday noises and he is not alone. And I don't mean me and my iPhone. I mean that there's a vast community of people like Ricardo who get just as riled up about found sound and street noise as he does. Maybe you're not one of them, and maybe you get nothing from a beeping crosswalk, but I have to say, it's hard to disagree with the guy when he's right there in front of you, explaining how beautifully his new hydrophone captures the guttural timbre of underwater noises. Nice automated voice, little robot voice. Take your ticket with you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's how you can end the, uh, the interview. Yeah. Afterward, he's headed to New Hayslip for rehearsal, and I'm headed to the bus stop to think about bus noises. But first, he wants to capture something else, something familiar to anybody who's ever been inside a Pittsburgh parking garage. Please take your ticket with you. You will need it to exit the garage. Thank you. That's awesome. You gotta send me that recording. <laughs> That's a good one. He was so polite. Big thanks to Ricardo E.M. Yuri Robinson for talking with me. Brand New World Kill the Artist is at New Hazlet Theater Thursday the 11th at 8 p.m. 
You can find more of Ricardo's work at sonarchaeology.com. That's son, like male child, and archaeology, like theology. Thanks. Now for our soundbite segment, Celine takes us to a Harry Potter-themed dinner. That's right, we're eating wizard food. Like avocados? Not sure, gotta listen. This was this month's Dinner Lab, and it took place in a cavernous former church sanctuary in Lawrenceville to mimic the Great Hall. Dinner Lab ticket holders get to know the theme, but the location is secret until a day or two before the meal. And the seating's communal, so while it's about trying new, fun food, it's also about making friends. And for the featured Dinner Lab chef, it's about experimenting with new dishes and trying interesting menus. On that evening, Celine met chef David Bolin, who had been influenced by the Harry Potter books as a kid. Not to mention, he also worked at the former highly praised Bonaterra, not formerly highly praised, just formerly worked there, in Aspenwall, and also Napa Valley's The French Laundry. Thanks for coming and speaking with us on Soundbite this week. This is Chef David Bullman. Thanks for having me. Can you tell me a little bit about the menu that you've drawn up for this evening? So tonight's menu is a Harry Potter-inspired menu. Um, all the dishes are extracted directly from the books um, with different themes and illustrations via food. It's called a pumpkin juice panna cotta. Pumpkin juice is uh, very prevalent throughout the Harry Potter story. Second course, potato croquette, but it's in the form of a, a snitch, for those of you that aren't familiar with Quidditch. Third course, uh, creature's onion soup. For the entree course, we have Mrs. Weasley's shepherd's pie. What inspired you to do a Harry Potter-themed dinner? So my inspiration was growing up reading the Harry Potter books. Um, I had a fairly rough childhood, and I found that reading Harry Potter was an escape from the reality of my world, and it's always been an inspiration to me as an adult still. Did you grow up with Harry? I did. Um, I started reading them in seventh grade. Um, A funny story, I was actually... A very poor reader until about that time I started reading Harry Potter. Um, I was great at math and science, but I was a horrible reader uh, because I simply didn't like what we were reading in school. Um, so when I got the first three books, uh, the first three in the series, I started reading. I never stopped. I read at least a book every other week now. How do you feel about this space? Um, I really like this space. Um, it does remind me vaguely of the Great Hall. It's very big, open, uh, very voluminous. Um, the tables are set up in the manner of the Great Hall. Can you tell me which is the course you're most looking forward to tonight? The course I'm most looking forward to is definitely the treacle fudge tart. Uh, of course, treacle fudge is very prominent throughout the story. Uh, Haggard makes a great treacle fudge. Um, but it's a treacle fudge tart with a hazelnut praline wand and a butterbeer ice cream. I'm sitting here at a table in what is now been turned into the Great Hall from Harry Potter here at Dinner Lab. This 
smells of the food are wafting toward the vaulted ceiling. The face, the beautiful face of Daniel Radcliffe is projected for all to see. The servers are running around, getting things ready, checking people in, and diners are arriving, introducing themselves to their neighbors, and preparing for the feast to come. our first course, the London Pumpkin and Sons. It is roasted pumpkin, pickled squash, buttermilk, and pumpkin seed panna cotta. And it's served in a little glass with roasted pumpkin seeds on top and curls of pickled squash. Very, very light. Um, the texture is heavy, but the taste is light. They asked for us to rate between one and five uh, one being poor, five being excellent, the taste and creativity. Would you order it in a restaurant? Because I do think that's the ultimate question. That's actually the one question I haven't circled yet for this. Um, I just feel like a lot of places are doing panna cotta right now, and this isn't the best I've had. But, um, for example, my feedback, I would like more salt or for it to be more um, savory, whereas he would like it to be more sweet. So we're kind of at different thoughts about this one. Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about the second course that you're eating right now? It's called a golden snitch, and it's like a potato croquette, and it's got a filling of, of ham in the middle, some uh, prosciutto, and cheese, and it's tasty. It's crunchy on the outside and soft potatoey on the inside. Is this your first dinner lab, or have you been to many? No, this is our very first one. What do you think so far? It's fun. I'm enjoying it. I like adventure. Can you tell us a little bit about Creature's onion soup? I think it was fantastic. It was a lovely take on a French onion soup uh, with a little bit of uh, a little bit of cheese, a little bit of um, almost like a pita triangle there. Um, very salty, very but not overly so. It was very good. And is this your first dinner lap? No, it isn't. Um, I've actually, I'm kind of a veteran. Uh, I've been here almost a year, probably six or seven now. So what keeps you coming back? Oh, absolutely the food and the company. One of the things I find exceptional about the Dinner Lab experience is that people talk to each other. If you look around, we have a group of approximately 120 people here tonight, no cell phones. People are talking, they're smiling, they're engaging each other, they're meeting their friends that are next to them. I just finished the fourth course, which is Molly Weasley's Shepherd's Pie. So it was braised lamb uh, over a buttered puff pastry, peas and herbs with these delicious, crunchy little pearl onions. And there were just a smattering of mashed potatoes that the lamb and the broth was ladled over. And lots of thyme, which is a flavor I like. If you didn't like thyme, it probably wouldn't be your favorite dish. Are there any Harry Potter fans here? Oh, yeah. All right. Oh, yeah. Can you give me a favorite moment from one of the books? Um, the dragon races and the underwater scenes. Are you enjoying the projection on the ceiling here of the movies? We didn't yes. even notice until you I did. <laughs> I did. I think, they're, I think it's awesome. 
it dawned on me as I am watching these clips played on the ceiling of the beautiful Shiloh Church that I should give Alan Rickman his fair due. I feel like this is an incredibly timely dinner to honor a great actor. So, rest in peace, Alan Rickman. Want to try some of David Bowman's Harry Potter food yourself? He'll be having another wizard-themed dinner in July. You can register at info at platedtrade.com, and we'll also link to his website on our podcast page on www.pghcitypaper.com. Celine Roberts here with your weekend calendar. Northside comic artists Nils Balls and Daniel McCluskey will be hanging out at the Penn Brewery on Thursday night, drinking brews, drawing comics, and selling their books. These two have long been a part of growing the Pittsburgh counterculture art scene, as well as just being all-around nice dudes. Grab a beer, have a laugh, and meet some new friends. Being a writer is a tough haul, but being one who's forced to flee their home country is an entirely different burden. City of Asylum is one of the places writers like Vu Tran, a South Vietnamese refugee, are welcomed. Tran grew up in the States when his family fled after the fall of Saigon. He'll be reading from his novel Dragonfish, which interweaves elements from his life with his characters' histories. Famed Latin jazz pianist Arturo O'Farrell plays Manchester Craftsman's Guild on Friday night with his Afro-Latin jazz orchestra. The son of the legendary Chico O'Farrell, a Cuban trumpet player who played with Tito Puente and Count Basie, Arturo has Latin jazz in his hands and his blood. I sat open-mouthed through two surprise sets in New York this past October, and I can't think of a better way to spend an evening, which is why I'll be there on Friday night. So come join me. Catch something on the fly Saturday night at the Amish Monkeys Improv Comedy Show. This sketch-based comedy troupe has been a regular in the Pittsburgh comedy scene since the 90s. Their shows include singing, parodies, games, and short-form improv skits. Leave the kids at home, though. Some of these jokes are rated PG-13. For more ideas, check out our listings. I'm Celine Roberts. Get out there and have some fun. Thanks, Celine. That does it for episode four. Thanks so much for listening. The City Paper Podcast is produced by Ashley Murray and me, Alex Gordon, with Celine Roberts. You can, and should, and will, subscribe to the CP Podcast on iTunes. And you can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at PGHCityPaper. Not to mention on a regular old website, PGHCityPaper.com. I reached out to Werner Herzog for an interview next week, so tune in. He said no. <laughs>